Good morning. Good to have you here the uh, Sunday before Christmas. And we want to uh, take some time today, try to focus our thoughts. I don't know what all might be distracting you. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of potential distractions this time of year. And this morning we want to just spend some time getting our focus on the main thing that we celebrate in Christmas. Um, you know, all the, all the other things, many of them are so good, you know, getting together with family and friends, uh, decorating. It's not my biggest thing, but, you know, decorations are nice. Uh, gift exchanging, that can get a little hectic and stressful, but, you know, so much of it is good, but we don't want to miss the main thing. You know, just like you wouldn't want to have a birthday party for one of your children or grandchildren or a friend and be all about the gifts and the decorations and, you know, all that stuff and the cake. Cake's good. And then, <laughs> but overlook, overlook the person. You know, it's, it's their birthday. That's, that's what we're celebrating. That's the main thing, the person. And that's what we want to realize about Christmas. We want to celebrate the main thing. That's celebrating the birth of the most amazing person who has ever been born. And we've been looking uh, the past couple of weeks at the first few verses in the book of Hebrews. If you want to follow along in your own Bible, Bible app, uh, feel free to turn there. There's also a note sheet in your folder, and the scripture will be on the screen. But let's take a look at what it says about this amazing person, Jesus, the Son of God. So, Hebrews 1, beginning at verse 1. Long ago... In many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds all things, the universe, by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Amazing words describing the Son of God, <clears throat> and this time I want to focus in on those words in verse 3, which say, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Or to sum it up in other words, Jesus, the Son of God, is God made visible. Jesus, the Son of God, is God made visible visible. Now that is an astounding claim. And so I want to take some time and have us consider what it means as best we can understand it, and then uh, consider what difference it makes if we know that, if we believe that. So first, what does it mean that Jesus is God made visible? It says he is the radiance or the brightness of the glory of God. 
Well, that means to get this, we need some understanding of the glory of God. What, what is that? What is he talking about, the glory of God? Well, one way you can say it is that God's glory is his goodness on display. So when God's essential goodness, who he is, his excellence, his moral beauty, when that goodness becomes on display in some way, and we're able to encounter it, that is God being glorified. His glory is his goodness on display. You can see this back in the book of Exodus, where Moses is up on Mount Sinai, and he is there receiving God's instructions for the Israelites. He's also interceding for them because they have blown it big time. But he's there, and he is experiencing, Moses is experiencing God's presence in a very unusual way. You know, no, nobody else is experiencing this. Moses is there, and, he's, and, he's, and he gets so caught up in the wonder of who God is and, and, and the, the presence that he was able to experience in some way. He gets so caught up in that that he wants to experience more of who God is, and he prays something amazing. He says, in, this is Exodus thirty three eighteen. Moses says, please... Show me your glory. He just he wants more. And then notice God's reply in the very next verse, verse 19. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, or Yahweh. When you see all caps, the word Lord in all caps in our English Bibles, that's actually the name Yahweh. And so this uh, moment, God is going to answer Moses' request to see his glory by giving him an encounter with his goodness on display in some way. And he's going to declare the meaning of his name. And those two things go together because his name is a, an expression of God's character, of who he is, especially in relationship. So this happens in the very next chapter in Exodus 34, verse 6. And he, that is God, passed in front of Moses, just like he said he would, proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding, overflowing in love and faithfulness. So God is showing Moses his glory by making known to him his goodness captured in his name, his essential character. He is compassionate. He cares. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. So what this is telling us is that when we encounter God's goodness through what he says, through what he does, we're seeing a glimpse of his glory. His glory is his goodness on display. 
It's made public. Well, when Jesus came and was born that little bitty baby in Bethlehem, she didn't stay little bitty. He grew. And he displayed God's goodness as never before. Because, here's that other description from Hebrews 1.3, because Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature, the very essence of who God is. Jesus is exactly 100% in that image, 100% the the essential nature of God. So John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and we'll find out later in the chapter, we're talking about Jesus here, we're talking about the Son. In the beginning, He was. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it's because Jesus shares God's nature completely, 100%, because he shares God's nature perfectly, he can display God's goodness perfectly. So verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Notice what he says, and we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So all of God's essential goodness is on display in Jesus, on display in his Son. His graciousness, his truthfulness, his mercy, his faithfulness, his compassion, his kindness, his justice. So that when you see the excellence of of Jesus, what you're seeing is the glory of God. You're seeing God's goodness on display. Now, I want you to see how Jesus himself says this with his own lips. Because he says it so utterly simply and totally profoundly. It's, it's really remarkable. So we're going to look in John chapter 14, and we're going to be there for a little bit. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, help yourself. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. And just to sort of set the stage here, Jesus has just eaten the Passover meal with his disciples. And now he's teaching them some things to help prepare them for what's about to happen, for what's coming. Because what's about to happen is he's about to be arrested and put on trial and then go to the cross. He's going to die on the cross and then on the third day be raised from the dead. So he is, he is seeking to prepare them for what's coming. So verse 1 of John chapter 14, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Thomas, love this guy. 
We don't even know where you're going. How can we possibly know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way. I'm the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been with you such a long time? Here it comes. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. You know, sometimes we're in church and we read things or we hear things or we sing things and because we're familiar with them, we've heard them before, they don't always, we, we don't always feel how utterly astonishing they are. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, you know, it's easy to go, yeah, okay, that's interesting. It's not interesting. That's incredible. That's something to hear and go, whoa, are you kidding me? Jesus said that? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father? If that's true, he is by far the most amazing person who has ever been born. I mean, think about it. Jesus here is not claiming to know the way to God. He says he is the way to God. He's not claiming that he can just teach the truth. He says he is the truth. And he's not claiming that he can just give life. He says he is the life. And he says, well, he, he doesn't say just listen to me and I'll tell you about God. He says, look at me and you will see God. Wow. It's the most outrageous thing anybody has ever said. And yet the ones who knew him best, the ones who were closest to him, the ones who heard everything he said like this and saw everything he did, they all say, yeah, that's right. That's who he is. He is God made visible. So what difference does it make when you know that? When you believe that? When you, what difference does it make when you know Jesus as God made visible? I'm sure you're aware. In fact, you might even be in this camp this morning. Many people think it's really not possible to know if there's a God, and even if there is, to know what he's like. Many people think that. They think nobody can be sure, because really, we're all just guessing. Well, you know what? That's absolutely true if, if God has not taken the initiative to make himself known. But that's exactly what this is saying. It says God spoke through the prophets. And he not only did that, he actually showed up and walked among us and talked with us 
and got hungry with us and got thirsty with us and cried with us because he showed up as a man who was also God. God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. He became visible. And so here's the difference it makes if you know this, if you believe this, it means we never have to wonder what God is like. We never have to wonder what God is like. We just have to look at Jesus. Again and again and again. So, I want to look a little more closely at him here in John 14. And I just want to draw your attention to a couple of glimpses of God. What do we see? What do we, what do we know about God when we look at Jesus here. We see, first of all, God committed to our good. God committed heart and soul, so to speak, to our good, to our benefit, to our welfare. So Jesus looks at these men. These guys have been with him for three years. I mean, these, this is a tight group. You know, you talk about band of brothers. These guys are that. And Jesus is the reason. He's the cohesive element that holds them all together. They know him well. He's know, he knows them very well. And he looks at them and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why does he say that? Because their hearts are troubled. He's just been telling them some things that really bother him. He's just told them, one of them's going to betray him. He's just told Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And then, most troubling of all, he's told them he's going away, and they can't come with him. And I mean, they're really bothered by this. But look, Jesus doesn't want them to be troubled. And in that, we get a glimpse of the heart of God toward us. He doesn't want our hearts to be troubled. He doesn't want our hearts to be worried and fearful. He wants us to know peace. He wants us to know joy. He wants us to have hope, not a troubled heart. So what's his prescription? His antidote for a troubled heart? He says, Jesus says, trust in God, trust also in me. Trust me. I have your best interests at heart here. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. He's not going away to abandon them. He's going away for their good. He's going to die on a cross for them and for us so that we can experience relationship with God instead of separation from God. So we can experience God's mercy instead of God's justice, his judgment, because that's what we deserve. But see, they can't, they can't, they can't comprehend any of this. They just know he's going away. They, just see, they, they cannot imagine any good reason why Jesus would go away. They can't. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to that? Have you ever been in a situation, maybe you're even in one right now, where you cannot think of any good reason why 
God would allow that to happen. It is so easy for us in those times to doubt that God has our good at heart, isn't it? Because we think if he did have my good at heart, he would do it differently. And it's like we just can't fathom. We cannot fathom that God actually knows what's in our best interest and actually cares about what's in our best interest. I've told this story before. If you've heard it, just enjoy it again. Um, <laughs> one of our sons was two years old. Uh, he fell and he split his upper lip wide open. I mean, big time. I actually thought a piece of his lip was missing. I'm like looking on the floor for it because this gap is so enormous. So we took him to the ER because we're good parents. And, um, <laughs> and they strapped him to a board Velcro straps around his head, his arm. He could not move at all. And then this doctor took a hypodermic needle and she jabbed it right in that wound. Yeah. And then she cleaned it. And then she took this big fish hook with fishing line. That's what it looked like to me. And she just put that in the wound again and again, and she stitched up that lip. And my son, I remember, he was screaming. And he's looking at me with not just sad eyes, I mean terrified eyes. And he's pleading with me to rescue him from this horrible situation. And do you know what I did? Do you know how I responded to his plea for deliverance? I said, no. I put my hand on him, and I looked him in the eye, and I said, it's going to be okay. And you know what? He didn't believe me. <laughs> Even though I wanted what's best for him. He couldn't understand it. He just, he couldn't fathom. But see, I knew something he didn't know. I knew that one day he'd actually care about his appearance. And he wouldn't want a big gigantic gap in his upper lip. So I was committed to his ultimate good, but he couldn't, he couldn't grasp it. He just couldn't do it. That's what's going on with these disciples. And that's what goes on with us. Time after time after time. We just can't grasp. These guys are upset that Jesus is going away. Jesus is going away for their good, but they don't get it. Here's the thing. If we belong to Jesus, if we have become part of his people, putting our trust in him, becoming united to him by faith, God will not always give us what we want because he's committed to give us what is best. But we, we don't know what that is. So many times, we just don't know. We're too limited. We're too broken. We're too prone to rely on our own wisdom to understand what God must do to make us eternally happy, eternally satisfied. See, the remedy, the remedy for a troubled heart is not, is not, convincing God to do what you want. And so many times that's what we think prayer is. 
Prayer is all about convincing God to do what I want. No, prayer is relying on God, casting all our cares upon Him, telling Him what we want, but then trusting Him to answer in the way that's best, even when we don't know what that is. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God, trust in me. The remedy for a troubled heart is to look at Jesus and see God committed to your good. We see that when we look at Jesus. What else do we see? We see God wanting us to be with him forever. This is... This is mind-boggling. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. How amazing is that? Think about it. Jesus could have described God's dwelling, God's place as as a palace because he's the great king. He could have described God's place as a temple because heaven is a place of worship. But he doesn't. He calls it a house. In my Father's house. Why? Because that's what his disciples need to hear. A house is a place of relationship. A house is a place to belong. A house is a place to eat and hang out with people you love, relationship. With God? Isn't that what it's saying? Isn't that exactly what it's saying? In my Father's house there are many rooms, and I'm going to take you there. I'm going to come. I'm going to go do what i got to do to make it happen, and then I'm going to come, and I'm going to get you. And I'm going to take you home with me, and we're going to be together. Because there's room for you in my Father's house, or there will be when I do what I do. This is the heart of God talking. Does that fit your picture of God? Really? Does that fit your picture of God? God wanting you to be with him. Realizing he created you for relationship. That's what we're all longing for, whether we realize it or not. Relationship with him, connection with him. That's what makes heaven heaven. It's not the place, it's the person. But we, in our stubborn foolishness, again and again, we keep thinking... (laughs) that something else will satisfy us more than God will. Something else will make us happier than God will. That is, I think I've said this like the last three, two or three weeks. That's so stupid. Sin is so stupid. Yes, it's wrong. It is wrong. But it's stupid to think that God, who is the source of everything good, you realize he's the reason anything good is good? But we want to decide for ourselves what's good. And in our arrogance, there's this huge disconnect between God and us. Left to ourselves, left to ourselves, heaven would never be our home. Why would we be able to enjoy eternity with God when we've not wanted Him in our lives and we've dishonored Him repeatedly? But Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, what does he mean by that? I've heard some imaginative uh, discussions on this, (laughs) which aren't entirely accurate. 
which is to say not at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've heard somebody say, oh, well, think about it. Jesus has been working on this place for 2,000 years, and he's a carpenter, and this place is going to be amazing. He's going to prepare a place for you. He's, you know, and it's like, okay, it is going to be amazing. Totally, it is. That's not what he's talking about. That's not his point. He's not saying he's going to add on a room or he's going to redecorate or remodel for us. When Jesus talks about going away, he means he's going to the cross. He's going to take upon himself the justice of God against sin so that we can receive his mercy and be forgiven. Otherwise, that's preparing a room. That's preparing a place for us. Because otherwise, we're not getting in. We're not getting in. Heaven is a holy place. And apart from Jesus, we're not holy. He prepared a place for us by dying and rising again. And if we put our trust in him, then the day will come when he will take us to that home. Now, why? Why did he do that? Why did he prepare a place for us? Because he wants us to be with him. You might have trouble believing that. I sure do. You might think God doesn't want you because you're too messed up. Your sins are too awful. There is no way God can want you. Can I just point out, I'm not the one saying it. I'm not the one revealing who God's like. Jesus is. And he says, God wants us to be with him forever. Not because we're so great. <laughs> it's because he's so great. It is an important rule for life. If you keep looking to yourself and saying, why would God want me? What is there about me? Why, why, why? You know, it's like, stop looking at you. Look at him. His heart is the reason why. Ephesians 2.4, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Because of his great love, God wants us to be with him. God wants you to be with him. Is that what you want? Is that what you want? Because if you want it, you can have it. That's the great news of Christmas. That's the Christmas present we need most. Do you want to admit that God made you for himself, that he is the answer to your deepest longings? Nothing less then his presence will ever completely satisfy you. Without him, you don't know what's best for you. And by trying to seek it on your own, you're actually dishonoring him. But Jesus bridged the gap between us and God when he died on that cross. Our, our thing is to respond, to respond. We trust him. We go to the Father through him. Because remember, he's the way. He's the way. The way to God's not a path, it's a person. It's not a religion or a ritual, it's a relationship. With this one, this one, who made God visible 
accessible, knowable. When you enter into a relationship with Christ, you enter into a relationship with God. Do you want that? Do you want that? You can do that today if you haven't done it. Ask him to come into your life. Ask him to forgive your sin. You say, what do I say? You know, the exact words really aren't the issue. It's the heart to say to him, Jesus, Lord, today I, I choose to believe. I believe that you, you are God made visible. I believe you went to the cross and you rose from the dead so that I could have a home with you forever so that I could know you now, so that I could trust you to tell me what's good instead of relying on myself. Look at John, 1 John 5.11. God gave us eternal life. Notice the word gave. It means it's a gift. We didn't earn it. We didn't achieve it. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. It's not in a box. It's not wrapped up with paper and bows. It's in a person, this gift. So whoever has the Son has the life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I don't know how you could say it any simpler. If you have the Son, you have the life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the life. Do you want the Son? You can have the Son. Tell Him you want Him. Receive Him by faith. Put your trust in Him. And you'll have God. Sometimes they say things that just kind of freak me out. <laughs> I mean, think about that. That is mind-boggling. If you want to get to know God, get to know Jesus. Now, why did I pick up the book? Well, because the ones who knew him best wrote down his portrait. If you want to look at God, look at Jesus. Look at him again and again and again and again. And we need to keep looking at him because... You know, we walk away from this book, we go out, life smacks us in the face, and then we forget. We forget what he's like. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. God's trying to make me miserable. No, he's not. That's not who he is. He's forgotten me. No, he didn't. We got to keep looking. Keep looking at Jesus. Jesus will meet you in this book if you want him to. Let's, uh, let's pray together. So if you're here on this Sunday before Christmas and you're listening to what I'm saying and, and you just sense that God is thumping on your heart and saying, trust me, trust me. And you hear this about Jesus and you say, I want that. I want him. I want to know God. Then that's the Holy Spirit at work and I just plead with you to reply, to respond and say yes. Say yes to him. And if today you realize you're just not keeping your eyes on Jesus and you've lost sight of who God really is or your heart is troubled um, just start fresh. Say, Lord, let me see you. Let me remember who you really are. That when I see you, I see God.
and it's amazing. Father, we pause now just to uh, try to let this sink in. That what you did in Christmas, sending your son, was revealing to us who you really are as, as clearly as we could possibly see it. Open up our eyes, Lord. Open up our hearts to receive Jesus. And in doing so, receive you. Lord, do, do your work in each one of our hearts. Whatever each person needs, I pray that you would meet them right at their point of need right now. Thank you for this good news. In Jesus' name we pray.